Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the Nordics region to discuss industry passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Rachel, and I connect businesses with talented freelancers in the Swedish market. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kakul, Mehdi, Therna, and Victor to discuss how to create a high-performing team. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do, and what your biggest passion is currently. Kakul, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, definitely. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Kaku, and I'm the CTO at Your Beat. Um, and uh, these days, I'm spending most of my time building a product for people who want to be more sustainable in their food choices, uh, while helping them uh, with maintaining their nutrition as well at the same time. I live in Stockholm with my husband. Um, I moved here about five years ago from India. And um, I love working with products that uh, can really help people. So before this, uh, before your meet, I was working with an edtech startup in Stockholm as well called Cognity. Um, and uh, in my free time, I'm either cooking. Uh, I love I love food. Uh, I really miss Indian food. So I try to cook as much of it as I can uh, here. Or uh, taking long walks with my husband um, or traveling when, when uh, circumstances allow. Yeah, fantastic intro. I love hearing about your passion for cooking. How about you, Mehdi? Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Mehdi. Uh, I'm software uh, architect and product manager in Flowbox. Uh, I've been working for 14 years in IT industry. I work uh, different roles from software engineer, project manager, uh, software architect, product manager, uh, and uh, I have been in Sweden for one and a half year. Prior to that, I was living in Malaysia for about 15 years. And I got my degree over there and I was working over there within uh, startup companies up to enterprise organization. Uh, my passion on my free times is walking uh, with my dog uh, into the nature, watching movies, listen to the audiobooks, also hanging out with my friends. Uh, and trying new foods. I, I love food like Coco, but uh, not really into cooking, just eating. <laughs> yeah, that is about me. Fantastic intro. I think we've got a group of foodies here. <laughs> How about you, Werner? Cool. My name is Werner. I'm a engineering manager currently at Volvo. Came to Sweden about four years now ago. Uh, it will take a, two, a few months. Uh, been yeah, been engineering manager for about four years now as well. Uh, uh, prior to that, I was a uh, software engineer. Still love kind of the engineering side of things. 
my, I suppose what, what keeps me busy is tinkering. I, I love tinkering with everything. Uh, so software, hardware, I play with microcontrollers. Currently the newest toy that is running, running around the house is a 3d printer. So now getting a little bit more back into kind of CAD design, which I did do previously as well. Uh, so yeah, just tinkering basically, uh, that's it. Thank you. Great introduction. And how about you, Victor? Yes, I'm Victor, and thanks, Rachel, for having me. Um, I am uh, the founder of a consultancy called Nevermind uh, that I run together with, with some uh, friends and, and also my girlfriend. Um, we started that 2017, and currently it's about uh, 30 employees working there. Um, I spend most of my time as a consultant myself and currently I'm the CTO at a company called Droppa uh, that works with uh, e-commerce returns, like a new take on how to handle e-commerce returns. Um, and I, I've been working within e-commerce and with uh, technical stuff for, for about 15 years. Um, I have no real like defined passions or, or things that I love like that, but I like doing a lot of things. I like running. Uh, I like bicycling, and I like also I like cooking. I like experimenting with food and uh, also eating. But I'm not that picky with what I eat. I eat everything, so that's good. Um, currently, I'm I'm out traveling, which is also one of my passions. So I'm away with my family um, in Italy, um, doing a lot of eating also, which is good, and some cooking and. Uh, hopefully we're going to go into the sea uh, at, at some point as well, but it's still a bit too cold. Wonderful. Yeah. It's lovely to get to know you all a little bit more and we've established a context to each of you. So let's move on now to the topics in focus. You all have a question or a statement on how to create high performing teams. As usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. Each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. Now, I want to start with Kakul because you have raised an interesting question on how to measure performance within teams and also conversely, how to deal with under underperformance within teams. Could you tell us a bit more about what led to this question? Um, yeah, so measurement especially, I think it's, it's usually hard and very abstract. Um, I think everyone has very different opinions on how much to measure um, and um, uh, everyone has different ways to do it. So I, I just want to understand uh, what experiences uh, everyone here has had uh, with that. Um, also dealing with underperforming teams and members. I think that's, that's, that's a very hard topic. Um, um, we are always trying to get the best people that we can work with, but that doesn't always happen. Um, people might not be the right fit for the job, or um, maybe they it just isn't the right role. It isn't the right role for them, or the right um, circumstances. Um, and I haven't had to deal with that too much. Luckily, I've, I've had great team members. Um, but I always wonder, like, what I would do in such a situation. So um, I want to understand everyone's perspective if, if they've faced that in the past. Absolutely, very interesting. Who wants to kick us off? Go, Zerna. So. I mean, performance is one of those things that are, that's really difficult to, to measure as well because we all try and kind of have a a yardstick, right? And we try and measure everybody according to uh, to these things. So, if we if we put a a engineer in a certain spot, we want to say, yeah, you know, you're living up to the expectations. Yeah, 
uh, so therefore you are performing, right? So, but performance definitely looks better for different people as well, uh, or performance looks different for different people. I mean, I've had, uh, unfortunately the, the, well, unfortunately I've had to deal with underperformance as well. So it is one of those things where to evaluate that performance, you first have to understand the person and where, where they're at as well and how they work, how they work as well. I mean, I've got guys that will jump into uh, jump into a solution and have something out in two three hours, right? Then they've got a basic POC out, but then I take a different engineer and it'll take them two days to get the say to to deliver on on a set piece of work, but they delivered this differently, so. The one that takes his time, what he delivers is basically ready to go into an MVP already. It's not a proof of concept. The guy that delivers uh, delivers it in a couple of hours, that's a brilliant POC, but it's not close to an MVP as well. So if you're looking at it from that point of view, it's like who's actually performing better? So it is definitely something that you have to look on an individual basis on how how to evaluate them as well. I think that that's what makes... I think that's what makes engineers or teams a little bit difficult uh, to run, especially with cross-functional teams where you've got multiple disciplines in that team. It's like it's difficult to set those expectations for a wide group. And I think that is what I love about the, the current way that we deal with teams is having one-on-one -on -one conversations with them because then we can set those expectation, expectations per person. Yes, there is an overarching there is an overarching guideline, but at least we've got the flexibility to do that. And underperformance, I mean, it depends on the framework that's been laid out, but those are difficult conversations to have, but they need to be had as well. There are times where they can turn around, but it's a situation of having the conversation and giving that, uh, that trying to understand that person, I think is a good way of, of at least getting to to know whether this underperformance is related to something that they may be just not capable to do the job, maybe trying to find somewhere where they fit better. But I, I think underperformance is also one of those things that you need to find out if you're not measuring this person wrong. And if it's really underperformance, what's the cause for it as well? And if it's a situation of if, the core, uh, if it is that they just don't fit the role, then obviously we've We've done we've done something before that point to get that person into that role. So at that point, you have to start asking questions about was this person hired incorrectly as well, or was this something that that an environmental thing led to that person underperforming? Really interesting, further, Mehdi. It looked like you were deeper in thought there. What are your thoughts? Uh, yes, it's a really brilliant question, Gopal, uh, and and thanks for sharing your insight. Uh, and yet it's, uh, I totally agree with your point of view. Uh, you know, Peter Drucker had a, have a quote that if you cannot measure it, you cannot improve it. In order to really improve something, you need to have some sick and bring some measurement into the picture. And, uh, of course, uh, agile methodology and, uh, bringing velocity and these things try to simplify things that so people can measure to some extent, but is not a silver bullet unless you have been performing, define things in really good manner uh, for the team. And it's aligned with the organizational vision and mission. Uh, 
my favorite approach for measurement is uh, OKR, which have been used in really famous organizations such as Google, Intel, and they uh, kind of provide uh, achievable goal. And sometimes it's, uh, they divide it to a kind of category, whether it's category that the team is capable of achieving that. And another category, it's the team is if really, really overperformed their achieving, is overarching goal that usually they meet it in organizations such as Google. Those OKR is also for them is achievable. And there is some sense of achievement and goal into it that motivate the team. Uh, it is a really interesting concept. Uh, so many organizations embedded this OKR objective key result uh, concept. And uh, if you implement it well, it's uh, do miracle for the organization. Uh, there is a book by John Doerr called Measure What Matters. It's really interesting. Explain how this uh, OKR uh, initiated by uh, Intel founder and later on Google and other organizations, they bring their own flavor into the picture. Uh, it's quite amazing, I can say. Uh, regarding low performance team, I totally agree with one guess. It's like we supposed to see what is the root cause and why we are in that position in the first place. Did we put a person that in a place that it should, it's not belong to? And if so, why? A strength, finding the strength and weakness, uh, weakness of the team members is one of the things that we need as a leader, uh, you need to put focus on. Sometimes because you put a person that is not really the area of expertise or passion, doesn't show much of interest. But if you figure out what is the interest and align it with that and give uh, frequent feedback, it can do miracle. Uh, there, I had have experience within my career that uh, people, they turn around and by just uh, giving them uh, constructive feedback. What is the situation? What is the expectation? What is the root cause? Whether do you need any uh, resources that can help you to achieve that? Or is there any challenges that we can bring it into the picture? Sometimes only providing uh, educational uh, courses or giving them access to some materials such as LinkedIn Learn or site. It gives them some motivation that yes, organization is care, the person that they reporting to, they care, and they show their progress as well. That is my two cents. No, wonderful. Victor, do you have anything you would like to add? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's also like important to, to differentiate by measuring teams and measuring people. And, and measuring a, a person in, in without its context might be very like might not show the correct picture and and especially what what Werner mentions with the velocity of uh, developing stuff uh, that that is a very I mean that is very difficult me myself as a developer I hate being measured like that getting like oh you did 20 stories to sprint that's amazing but it's such a it doesn't mean anything without the context so and me myself and, and 
at least for the last years I work in smaller organizations with, I mean, we have tech, the entire tech department is seven to 10 people or something like that. So I, I have enough time to go through everyone's code and look at what everyone is doing and actually talk to everyone on a weekly basis and have more like detailed understanding on, on how they are working and what they are achieving and what their problems are and what they feel themselves and what they feel about their colleagues. And I try to get the, the, that um, understanding of the teams without, there's not a real measurement, but actually through, through discussions and without numbers. Now, I understand Google have a more, like it's a harder situation where you have so many people and so many managers with different ideas and different opinions. So you can't really like gather that in a, in a systematic way. But for me, in my context, I, I go with gut feeling and I go with what I consider good quality. And I try to like, uh, feel like use my intuition to, to, to understand it better. Of course, with some measurements, like if no project is ever done on time, or if you're always the one creating the most issues, then I mean, there's something there, but I think everyone that's a developer in a team, they can answer uh, on who is doing well and who's not. I mean, for just from working in that team and being on standups, uh, you, you kind of have that intuition. If, if you start working with that a bit more, you get even, even a better idea. Then I also like, um, looking into things that aren't absolutely maybe super related to what your, uh, job description, like the job description to develop stuff is that you produce code. But to me, it's just as important how you interact with your peers in meetings and how you do discussions and how you come to decisions and like. For, for a team performance, I think looking at a, a team to see how they have a discussion around a technical problem that tells you so much, like, did everyone have a chance to speak or is there someone just, just decides for, for it? Or like, do you have constructive discussions or do you have arguments and try to get yeah, health check that way is super important, I think. And under performing teams and members, uh, I have a lot of experience with that. Uh, I've been in uh, many situations with a lot of different people. So, so I have had to handle that many, many times. And I mean, sometimes it's, I, I think that a lot of, uh, something that's super important to have a performing uh, team member is loyalty and loyalty sounds like maybe a harsh word, but having being dedicated to like, or feeling that you're uh, that what you're doing is important and wanting to do a good job. And, and that's super important. And if you are in that uh, space, then usually you will do a good job. Uh, it's very rare that I have someone that's underperforming that actually really, really wants to perform. That I think does not happen super often, which I, I try to keep that in mind when I have the harsh discussion, which is that makes it easier because I can then think like, if this person really, really wanted this, uh, then we would not sit here because then there's usually a way out of it. So that kind of makes that hard discussion a, a bit easier, but of course you, you need to find a root cause. You need to coach and coach and coach and coach and coach. You need to see if the context is incorrect, like, uh, and not only are, are you running fast enough, but also are you running in the right direction? Do you have the support? Do you have like, uh, is the team, uh, like a good, uh, good team for this person to, to be part of. But then and again, then you also need to be able to take the tough decision and one eventually you need to tell this person that, Hey, this doesn't work. Uh, and we'll have to park ways, but try to do that in a good way. And, uh, my old, um, what's it called that the HR person used to tell me that 
everyone should be an ambassador. Uh, the, the people you did not hire and the people you fired, they should still uh, say good things about you when they leave. So uh, helping them get a new job maybe or doing things to, to have the uh, separation uh, positive experience, I think it's also a very important part of this. Um, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. No, I think there was a lot of different opinions there and obviously you're coming from different companies, different sizes and it's very interesting to hear about that. Pickle, do you feel like we've covered enough there? Um, yeah, definitely. I think um, uh, a lot of what what uh, everyone's mentioned, like I can connect with that. Like I have, um, I have had great engineering managers who who've done one on ones with me and helped me improve my skills to help me understand what my strengths are, uh, to push me forward, um, to keep me motivated. And um, I also worked with OKRs uh, in my, in my last job, and um, they they're only they did help a lot with like measuring and keeping everyone on track. But I think like there's, there's one thing that um, I, f I really struggled with uh, when, when doing OKRs is um, creating like outcome and output based uh, OKRs. Like, and, and sometimes they're really hard to measure as well, because if they're um, outcome based and uh, you have a, you have a timeline like that you have to measure in, uh, it, it's, it's uh, sometimes impossible like to just know, like after you finish something, if, if what you did is right, it, it takes months, sometimes even up to a year for you to see um, the results. And um, um, yeah, I, I think like uh, there's, there's always ways to improve that. Uh, but yeah, just sharing, just sharing what uh, <laughs> gone through. You know, it's wonderful to hear. Um, now I want to come to you next, Mady, because you've posed some interesting questions that I felt focused more on team culture particularly what role does culture play on performance and also the short and long-term effects of culture on performance. Could you tell me a bit more about this? Sure. Uh, based on my experience and also going through some books and resources, I could see that uh, some uh, organization and teams are as if on the self-pilot. Like uh, it's really easy to manage the interaction are really easy. And from my perspective, I connected to the culture in a way or another. And that's why I bring it to uh, this forum to discuss about it, to see uh, from your point of view and experience, how valuable you see culture is when it's come to performance and what would be the long-term and short-term because uh, from my personal experience, I've seen a team that they perform well for short term for a really small project. They were all technical and they could bring it back home easily. But when they wanted to interact for a project that more needed more uh, collaboration, more communication, they failed miserably. And it's my personal experience. I would love to hear from you guys what you came across and what is your experience. What does everybody think? Who wants to go first? Cornelius, you want to go? Otherwise, I'll pick up. Um, yeah, I can. I can start. Um, so, based on my experience, like the and I'm on my third job right now, and in, in my um, so the past two jobs, uh, we did have a really strong culture. Um, we did have very well defined values, a mission that we were all working towards. Um, the teams, um, at least. Um, in the last company, which was product based, uh, we did have very uh, clear like goals and expectations. Um, I I personally did find that very helpful because um, when when I'm looking for jobs, when I'm looking for a place to work, um, I want to work somewhere where I can 
believe in what uh, I'm building in. Um, and, and I want to feel that everyone around me also does the same, uh, because I think that, that keeps me motivated, um, and, and happy that I'm doing something, uh, good. And that's, um, that's, you know, other people that's helping out other people. Um, so in that way, I, for myself, I feel that I do really, uh, appreciate having a strong culture in, in a company, in a team. Um, but, uh, so I can't really say what happens when, when it's not there. Um, so for the short term, like when, when I think about it on a daily basis, uh, it, it, it helps me with making decisions. Um, so every day when we're trying to decide what to work on, is this the right thing for us to do? Um, I, I feel like that helps, uh, with like understanding if, if I need to go down that path or not, um, um, are we working towards the right goals or not? Uh, so that, that I would say is is something uh, short term and for for long term um i i haven't uh unfortunately like had or, or like fortunately i haven't had an issue where, where teams haven't been able to work together long term um so maybe it was just like the, the team composition like when you're forming the teams um you find the right people uh you figure out if they're working well together if um uh they believe in what they're doing and uh I trade on that if needed. And if, if it's not working well, then I guess, uh, shift things around. No, great. Fernand, did you want to go next? Yeah, sure. Uh, so for me, culture is definitely one of the biggest drivers in the team as well. Uh, you can have the most talented people there, but if they're not motivated at work, then they don't perform as well. And it is a situation of situation of sometimes we would like to think engineers are as technical but we need to remember those that they are in a sense artists as well so they've got high emotions as well and they definitely deal with a, a lot of stressful situations and when you build a good culture around that and build a team that's open to talk and that can also be there to support each other i mean that team really performs well and that that kind of it's good and bad right it's a situation of they they become they become very personally involved and that also means that when something happens in that team then it becomes a problem but you kind of have to you have the good with the bad i feel with the culture in order to make sure that the team can perform and i mean somebody that feels safe definitely performs much better than somebody that's on edge the whole time he doesn't know where he stands for the rest of the team those type of things so definitely i think the good culture breeds it makes it easy to to beat a high performing team if the culture is right and i mean this is i think established per team so it's not even something that you can look at at a company level at as well because it, it is definitely within that small subsection of people where this mostly forms really interesting victor do you have any other thoughts on this yeah but i i, I love this question and i mean my my own company was founded due to my experience of bad company culture I used to work for this uh, 300k employee uh, outsourcing a consultancy uh, no 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 mentions on that one but it was horrible i mean it was it was freaking horrible i worked 100 hours a week for two years and i was yelled at regularly and we produced nothing but shit and the projects were usually just shut down in the end and 
it, it was, I mean, for, for, for my employer, that was still, it was pretty neat because they, they got paid and uh, no, I'm not saying it was neat, but, but I mean, it, it, the, the, the way that it was talked about was not positive. I mean, from, from, from my employer side, and I was like, I, I loved, um, working with different clients. I mean, that's the best part of my job that I meet different clients every day. And I love that part. I love being a consultant. Uh, but I did not, I did not uh, approve of like the, the very American way of, of handling clients, uh, like, uh, which was, I mean, it, it's, it's not what I want, wanted to do. I wanted to bring value. I wanted to be friends with them and I wanted to feel like uh, we're doing, we're in this together. We're partners in this. It's not the, the other type of relationship. So, um, and, and that's it. That is, uh, Kind of, I had that in mind when I found that. Never mind. We were struggling, struggling really hard with getting to this, like um, getting to somewhere where um, you, you know you really feel that your your job is to help your clients and not to get paid, uh, which is different. And we have an entire part of the company that that uh, gets paid in in stocks because we we want to help some clients that don't don't have have enough money, and we we have based a lot of it on that sense and i also think it's super i think that the work that i do right now it's uh partly because I, i'm i'm older and wiser hopefully but also because i i have a lot more engaged uh, with uh, never mind of course and but also with my customers i only work with customers that i really like and that i want to be a part of the team that have good culture and, and try to help them foster that so that drop but that's i think that's uh, my my most important task is to to make the team feel that they understand what we're doing and why, and they understand why it's amazing. I think that what Dropout do, is doing is actually amazing. I, I'm like, I'm so happy every time I think of it, and, and I want them to feel it as well. I think that that really helps. Um, but I think, and then for the next question, which was the long-term and short-term thing, I, I do think that what's important, like short-term, you can have a, a great team that does great things, and they get motivated, they communicate well, and like they are good with the decision-making because they, they know they can take decisions, and they have a team culture where everyone gets to speak and where they know how to talk to each other and know how to take decisions, and I think that's great. Uh, but if you can go the long-term, that uh, other parts that I think is really important is like you, you if you have this uh, short-term well-functioning uh, team, you want them to stay. You don't want them to quit. And then it's super important to have the culture that that makes them like their job to to work there for ten years instead of two. Uh, former uh, employer that I mentioned, uh, they had like in two years you're promoted or you quit, and and that's like ten percent are promoted, the rest quit. And everyone knew that, that you were talking about that. It does not uh, create loyalty. It does, I mean, unless you're promoted, of course, maybe then you stay, but it does not, uh, in the long term, it does not help. And I also think that the, the, from, from a company perspective, having a reputation about yourself with a good culture makes it easier to hire, it makes it easier to grow, it makes it easier to get customers. And that comes from, from everyone working at, uh, at your company, in your organization, being ambassadors for your organization. You want your employers to talk to their friends and say like, freaking love it. They're awesome. Uh, my boss is, is the best guy ever. Uh, we're having a laugh. I get to try all the cool stuff. I get to, do, I mean, that that's what you want to happen. And that builds the reputation in, in, in long term. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's super important.
<laughs> oh, wonderful. Um, yeah, I found that really interesting to hear about company culture to me is a very important topic. But I want to talk about your topics now, Fern. I want to move on to your questions because I found that they took an approach towards the kind of hybrid working model. Uh, which is something we're seeing more and more of since COVID. So your questions focus on, you know, how to foster good relationships in kind of a hybrid environment and also how, as a leader, you can improve a team's self-sufficiency through the adoption of processes. Could you walk me through this a little bit? Yeah, so, I mean, we've moved to hybrid. It, it's it's kind of here to stay. So we're in a good or bad sense, it's, it's going to be around. So we have to kind of start getting getting things built around this this fact right so for me it is like i like i I said previously it's for me it's very important to build relationships in the teams in order to make sure that they perform and doing that remotely has been something i've found really challenging as well so i would just like some insights on on how how do you see this in in, on your side as well, because also with them being more remote, it is also a situation of you need to kind of also make sure that you don't have that interaction over table, right? So you need to make sure that they are they are kind of primed and ready to deliver so that they're not bottlenecked and waiting for the next meeting to ask questions. Because the fact of the matter is in this hybrid environment, people don't necessarily reach out and talk when it needs to. They wait until somebody happens. Where in office you could see, okay, the person is busy or not. That doesn't exist now. So that's kind of my thought train around this. No, absolutely. Who wants to kick us off with that? Go on, Victor. Yes. Nevertheless, the, the other two, so I thought I need to raise my hand this one. <laughs> Though it's the, the one question I did not really prepare for, but that's how it is. So... But, but I, I totally agree with you, Werner. I, I think a lot of people say that remote work is amazing and it's super easy and everything works just as before but better. But it's it's harder. I mean, it definitely is harder to create relationships with people when you're not next to them and when you do not have the like uh, spontaneous discussions and spontaneous talks. And I mean, I, I, before COVID, all the uh, teams I, I managed and all the organizations I worked in I always structured the office so that there was like a spontaneous whiteboard next to the engineers. And I had like, I had a setup that I always used because this is where we get all the good ideas. We never have, have them during meetings. We have them on the whiteboard that I set up like next to where we work. And now I have to take that, that doesn't exist anymore. I'm like, okay, what do we do now? How do you create these ideas? And I have not, I mean, I have not properly solved it. I tried so many different tools. And I've tried so many different structures to kind of feed these ideas, but it's 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 a lot more time consuming, in my opinion. It takes more time, it's more effort, and it's um, just not as e as easy. And you can probably get to the same result, but it will be uh, it will be harder. So that said, I think what you need to do you need to have super clear communications. You need to have super clear. Uh, expectations on communication say like if i ping you on slack you have 30 minutes to respond or maybe say that that's how it is every day after lunch but not before lunch but you need to have like agreements on how the communication should work or else people will be annoyed because like i wrote him on slack but he's not answering for four hours and 
And that's fine if you're in the four hour slot, but it's not fine if you're in the 30 minute slot. But without those agreements, people will be annoyed and you will be, you will be slowed down and all that. So you need to set the, those rules. Uh, so everyone in the team uh, accepts. And I also think you need to have regularly meeting, regular meetings, standups, of course, uh, and the demos and all that, but you also need to, uh, play uh, weird football or shooting games every now and then uh, online. And you need to do like random stuff. Or my favorite is actually called the scribble.io, which is like Pictionary, uh, with your mouse. Amazing thing for, for bonding. And so, and, and then those should be regular as well. You need to spend time on that to actually build the relationships uh, because the spontaneous discussions are not there anymore. Inter very interesting. Mehdi, Kakul, anything you would like to add to this? Um, yeah, I, I think every time I talk to anyone else who is, who is an engineering, they usually appreciate um, a hybrid or, or remote work and like flexibility. Um, but I do totally agree with that. It makes things harder to, um, to connect, to organize, even like workshops. I think when you're in a group in person, with a whiteboard, with uh, post-its, it's, it's way easier to just shift things around, to talk, to like communicate new ideas and just get them out right away. While all of that seems so much more clumpy when you're trying to do it online. Um, I, I feel it comes with its pros and cons. Um, I love the flexibility of being able to work uh, hybrid, um, but yeah, the, the connections are very hard to build. So um, as, as you mentioned, uh, Victor, we, um, I, I've done those games, those online games. It's it's a lot of fun and it's a great way to uh, connect with your team. Um, conversations, like I think every morning, just checking in how everyone is doing, trying to understand um, uh, maybe like what's happening in your personal life. Is there is there somewhere? Maybe you need to go out to pick your kid in, in, in the evening, need to go to the dentist, like just those sort of like personal things, like sharing that, communicating that, I think that really helps in uh, connections and, and trust, like, I'm not going to be available to reply at this time today. Uh, hope that's okay with the team. Like things like that, I think really help. Um, for open communication. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, I've, I've been using Slack. Uh, we, we've had uh, team channels where we just share, uh, what maybe someone is working on. If they've like learned something new, if they're reading a fun blog, um, uh, or some great, uh, video tutorials. Um, but yeah, to, to create that sort of openness to share, I think like that, that takes time, especially if like nobody's met each other in person before. Um, so it, it is hard, uh, but yeah, uh, pros and cons. Absolutely. Mehdi, anything you'd like to add? Uh, I. Uh, quite agree with all of you is uh, uh, one of the challenges that everybody uh, start uh, dealing with uh, after pandemic and uh, there uh, it is evolving this hybrid or remote working is evolving uh, our traditional project management uh, had a kind of evolution uh, from waterfall to agile and the agile manifesto and principle and everything and one of the principle in agile was face-to-face -face communication because they bring it uh, to that direction that it's it's a must but because of pandemic we figure out it's not only uh, a must it's impossible 
to go to the work and then we needed to adapt and the, all these activities, all these approaches that we have been doing, virtual team building, having fun, uh, bringing some accountability, responsibility, trust, it is still evolving. Uh, everybody trying to do their own version of it, but uh, the struggle is still there. Uh, but at the same time, we have heard some companies, not only the performance come uh, down, it's go up and it's win-win situation. And from my point, point of view, it boils down to the clear uh, goal and what expectation it's required. And when the expectation is clear, when you could measure it easily, the system is in place, it is win-win situation because the commute time is not there, the interruption within the office is not there, and there are so many things that uh, people is going to have more time to contribute to their work at the same time being with their family, and they don't need to go through the extra commute over, uh, but still, it is evolving. The only things that I can say how it can help, bringing good measurement system, good mission and vision, not only for the organization, from the team level and individual level. Amazing. Well, it feels like hybrid is definitely here to stay. And I feel like we could do a whole podcast on that because it's its own kind of, you know, massive issue. But finally, Victor, I I've saved you till last because your, your question really stood out to me and I found it really interesting. Now, you wanted to ask, how can we keep psychological safety while laying off employees? And where did this question come from? Um, yeah, two, two, two things combined, I would say. And first, I had to lay off some employees uh, due to, uh, I mean, two years ago, you, you had to run not to get hit by money from investors, and, and that stopped. Uh, now, it's very hard to, to get money from investors. And, and I work with a lot of companies that... Yeah, they, they, they need investments to, to function. So they had to do basically the cutoffs and, and that affects the team. Of course, if you're, if you're had to lay off people, the rest of them feel like, well, okay, it tells me that I'm safe, but am I really? And start looking around and then, I mean, it, it's, it's not a good situation. Uh, and on the other hand, I have interviewed people at companies, uh, not in risk of being laid off themselves, but. Uh, where, where there have been massive layoffs and I got a pretty good insight on how they are discussing with each other and what's going on where where they are working and like at least gotten some idea of how this affects their performance and like how they feel and I mean some of them so some people I've talked to they are they've been basically preparing hoping to get a good package and to get to leave i mean that's what they've been preparing for they're doing job interviews and everything and basically hoping to get laid off the work there been situations where uh, th that's super weird i mean that's that's not a uh, they've been ended up in a situation where they can basically not do their job anymore so i think that was a pretty pretty interesting thing or and i have had issues with this myself so i'm actually um interested in, in sponsor i haven't got no good answers myself no absolutely that's really interesting ferner would you like to kick us off with this one yeah sure uh this is difficult right so the one thing that that normally i would say is normally the writing's on the wall when these things are happening so there's normally talk going on and they're aware that something's going to happen so i think 
in that perspective, I, I haven't seen somebody do this perfectly. Uh, I haven't seen anybody that, that, and I don't honestly think that there is a way that you can do this in a perfect manner. I just think for the people staying behind, they also need to, to understand, number one, when they are safe and we, when there's still items coming up. Like if you're laying people off, tell them what the reason is and tell them exactly who is going to go and don't drag it out. I mean, the worst thing you can do is let people know, okay, there's layoffs, wait two weeks and then tell them who's going. Then you might as well replace everybody because at that point in time, that's, that, that's just, it's done so much more damage to them than anything else. So these things, it's like, it's it's like something that uh, that's decaying, right? You don't you don't cut it off piece by piece by piece. You you amputate what what needs to get amputated, and then it has time to heal. And that is what I think. Think this This is uh, kind of something that you need to do here. So cut off what needs to it needs to be, and then make sure what is uh, the, what's left behind is stable and can recover and it as is as much about also looking after the people that are leaving as the people are, that are staying if the people that are leaving are handled respectfully and managed well then the people that are staying behind see that as well then the worst thing that you can do is let people go and the people that that are left behind are are not sure why exactly these people uh, were chosen were they chosen because they performed badly? Were they just randomly chosen? Kind of the criteria around that, I think, is also important to let people know what that criteria was so that they don't have these extra uh, extra questions, so that it's over, it's done, it's one point in time, and we move forward. Yeah, really interesting there. Mehdi, anything you would like to add to that? Sure, I uh, agree with uh, Victor and uh, Wanget that it's really, really difficult uh, to handle it properly. And of course, the organization to organization is different. Uh, there is really interesting book in that topic, a crucial conversation that uh, what it recommend it try to be uh, upfront with everybody. Honestly, it's something that uh, when people, they know what is the problem, they embrace it. But when they feel like they have been betrayed and suddenly caught by surprise, it's not a good feeling. Uh, I cannot recall the name of the organization, but Simon Sinek was giving an example that the organization was in such a state and they decided not going for the layoff, but they uh, kind of doing uh, optional uh, leave, uh, unpaid leave, or they distribute it among the whole organization. The morale go up significantly. They try to help each other to bring the organization to the better shape. What I haven't come across in this scenario, I didn't see this in any other organization. And despite the fact the example was out there that, hey, if it's really you have good performance team, there is no problem they are performing. There are other options that you can take into consideration. Maybe different countries, they have different law and regulation, and it might not be possible, but 
it is an option that I haven't come across it. Only an example that Simon Sinek was giving uh, prior prior to these events. Uh, yeah, but being upfront with it, uh, upfront with the team, it helped, I believe, and uh, providing support and giving all the resources that might be helpful for them is something that they show. This is not personal. We are trying to do our level best to make things right. It is, we are in the situation that we need to deal with it and we are in it together. How you convey the message that the employers, they understand this is not their problem. It's your problem also. It helped for the psychology of the team and the morale of the team. Thank you, Mehdi. Kakul, do you have any final thoughts on this? Um, I think like Warner and Mehdi really covered a lot of, uh, uh, a lot on, on the topic on what it's like. Um, it, it is hard, obviously. Nobody is going to uh, be happy to be told that they're laid off or like there's uh, a need to, uh, or that their friends or teammates are losing their job while they're staying back. Um, and, and I agree with the fact like being transparent and respectful through the whole process, trying to make it as quick as possible, um, are all important when, when, when going through such a situation. Um, and also providing support, like, uh, preparing managers uh, for handling questions. Um, I think there's always a lot of curiosity. People want to understand why something happened. Uh, so making sure that there is that openness um, uh, and honesty to uh, do that. Uh, what was the reasoning is, is um, um, yeah, I, I think everyone's like usually really curious to understand why, why things are happening. Um, and, and seeing like uh, if it can be mitigated in the future, I think like lots of companies uh, are now, um, they probably have the problem of overhiring, uh, due to, as we discussed, like lots of funding before, and now that's, that's not the case. Um, maybe that's a lesson learned for the future and, and we're really smart about, uh, using our resources. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's all our questions covered from all our guests here. Now. I believe it's been a super interesting podcast. You know, we've covered loads of topics here and I hope our listeners at home have enjoyed it as much as I have. So I'd like to kind of close and, you know, say thanks so much to all of our amazing guests for sharing their thoughts. They have been Kakul, CCO at Yorbi, Victor, interim CCO at Dropper and also co-founder at Nevermind, Mehdi, product manager at Flowbox and Aferna, engineering manager at Volvo. Now, if you wish to participate in future podcasts or would like to discuss how we can help you find the perfect next addition to your team, please connect with me on LinkedIn. But thanks again to all our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.